But thankfulness is the bedrock of our culture, right? Um, think about parents. Uh, what are some of the first words that you teach your children? Not either mom and dad, but it's thank you. Can you say thank you? I like the amount of times you can say thank you, you know, like as they walk away from getting their food or whatever snack they had. I'm always like, you can say thank you. Um, and so we lay into people when they don't say thank you. When you hold that door open for that person and they don't say thank you, you're like, well, thank you. You know, or you let someone out in front of you and they don't flash their lights or wave their hands. Ungrateful person. We get so angry when people aren't thankful, right? And so we want to be thankful people. We want to be around grateful people. I'm thankful for those who are grateful in my life. Grateful for those who encourage me, who are just thankful. They're just fun, joyful people. In fact, you know, studies show someone who's thankful just lives a fuller life, healthier. It's so good for our souls to be thankful. And just to top it all off, um, on top of that scripture, you would never believe it, says everything about thankfulness as well. Let's read this. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If this morning you are stuck on what the will of the God is for your life, thankfulness. If you're like, I don't know what to do, give thanks. What is life looking like? Give thanks. Give thanks in all things. And it's in all things. It's not for all things, but in every situation that we face, we bring thanks in the situation. In fact, I always mark spiritual maturity by this very fact. You can tell a spiritually mature person when they don't get what they want. They can shunder on a Honda, an Akia, all those good things. They can pray for hours on end but when they don't get what they want and their anger and their fears and their anxieties grow forth, that to me is spiritual maturity. And God is wanting to breed in all things a circumstance of thankfulness in our hearts to breed spiritual maturity in all of us. And so today, no one's going to fight me on the fact of being more thankful, right? No one's going to fight me, well, Johnny, I don't think we should be that thankful. Like, you're not going to wrestle me to the ground and say, stop talking about thankfulness. Though thankfulness is something we all want. But really the question we ask is, how can we be more thankful? How can I be more thankful? Because we all have an if in our life. I'd be more thankful if I didn't hate my job. Don't raise your hands. I would be more thankful if I didn't have my kids the way they acted, the way they were. I'd be more thankful if I didn't have the bills or I didn't have to work with that person. I'd be more thankful if this pandemic just never even occurred. I would be if. But maybe for some of you it's not an if, but it's a when. You have something happen in life and it happened to you, you now have a when in life. Uh, you can circle the moment. You can remember. As soon as I bring up the when, you have that moment. You go back to you. And when you think about Thanksgiving, when you think about Christmas, everything changes and it feels dull. It feels like there is no joy anymore. For us, we have a when in our lives, me and Rachel. Um, when we were in England, we got pregnant before we traveled over here. And back in, uh, so what's that, 10, 10 years ago now. December 2nd, uh, we miscarried our first child. 
And it was a painful moment. And what's more painful, you go in through it, you, you, you're kind of like shocked. First children, remember your first child, you're kind of shocked. How on earth did that happen? Well, when a man and a woman love each other very much. And you're just like, well, no, no, I get it, but how did it happen? I thought we were safe, I thought we were protected. And we were so blown away by that moment. And we were kind of like shocked, excited, and kind of like, well, okay, I guess it's happening. It's happening, right? We get all excited. And then within a week or two, uh, heavy bleeding, and it just changes for the worse. We go into the hospital, and they, they say, yeah, it's gone. Better luck next time. And you hear those words, but you get it. Remember about forgiveness we talked about last week? Every single day, this woman is seeing miscarriage after miscarriage, and she is numb towards the pain. And this is the best words that she can bring to a person, better luck next time. But doesn't it help? And so we have a when or when this moment happened, and it changes everything. From that moment on, Thanksgiving, Christmas changed for us. It became something more associated with pain that we had to work through, that we've had to work through. We are still continuing to work through to bring joy, to bring thankfulness. Maybe you today have a when. Maybe you have an if, an if and a when. I believe that true thankfulness can be found in sorrow, though. And uh, we are in the beauty, in the process at the moment. And we're processing in the, in the pain, there is beauty to be found. I believe, and this is the takeaway message for today, thankfulness, true thankfulness is found actually in sorrow. That actually true, deep love and thankfulness is actually found in the process of pain today. So would you turn your Bible to Lamentations? No, this is not a joke. Uh, we're going Lamentations today. For those of you who do not know Lamentations, it is a lament. It is a heart's cry. And so for you who maybe not turned there today, if you go to the middle of your Bible or the middle of your Bible app, find Psalms, Isaiah, find Jeremiah, and then you'll find Lamentations. Lamentations. It's, it's a process of pain. And so just some context here. Because I don't want to give you just good vibes, right? I just don't want to fill your heart with just good positive truths. Now, I want to go to a real-life situation where we believe Lamentations is written by Jeremiah. And so just some context for the day. The destruction of Judah has occurred Jeremiah, one of the prophets, in Jeremiah, if you read it, if you want to depress yourself, you've got 26 chapters of this guy over 20 years prophesying, Israel change. Israel change your hearts. Would you just move away from your idols, your own self, and come back to God? And so for 20 years, Jeremiah begins, and what's happened is they believe that Jeremiah's written this. The scene is, is that Judah is no more. There is destruction. If you look at the structure of the book, there are five chapters. Chapters 1 and 2, 4 and 5 are acrostic-type literature. That means that there are 22 verses, there are 22 letters in the Jewish alphabet. And so this writer is super clever. Every single verse starts with a letter of the Jewish alphabet. Now, we lose that in translation into English but can you imagine for yourself in chapters 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 are set up that way that we all have an alphabet of things that we don't like. When we don't know what to say, we start to reel off an alphabet. Maybe they're just simple things like 
aches and pains, or acne and back knee and chest knee. Like maybe we've got just some of those light ones. I love that Rachel told me that. I was like, what's some ABC problems? Well, I've got acne, back knee, and chest knee. Like all of these things. I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Maybe it's, it's Black Friday. Maybe you're like, oh, the emails that are being bombarded into your account over and over again. You're just like, delete, 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 delete. And they start quicker. Black Friday is now like starting in the beginning of November, and it's just crazy how that's all happening. Uh, maybe it's that Chick-fil-A is not open on a Sunday. That's a deep grievance of mine, especially my kids. Can we just have Chick-fil-A today? I'm like, no, it's the Lord's Day. I should celebrate it. But I really wish after pastoring, after preaching, I could just go grab something really good. But maybe for you, the alphabet's a little deeper. Maybe for you, when you don't know what you're going through, it's abuse, it's the bills, it's the bankruptcy, it's the cancer, it's the divorce. And quickly, we are surrounded by the ABCs of life. And so we get this. We get this lamentation, this writing, this letter is trying to do that when you haven't got anything, when you just feel like you're spent, you just go through the alphabet of pain that you experience. But the cool thing about this is that in chapter 3 is a shift. See, chapter 3 is a, a shift of the writer, and it's 66 verses, and there's hope found in the middle of pain. The writer is creating hope in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the torment. And so for him, he's painting up, if we just go to chapter 1 and just look at some of these words, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like the widow she has become. She who was great among nations, she who was a princess among provinces, has become a slave. And so you can imagine Jeremiah who had been preaching, who had been telling them change, 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 and then destruction happened. As Babylon sieged the people for 18 months, Babylon surrounded Judah. And that's not a good thing. You don't have any peace treaties. You don't have um, any kind of NATO or people to come help you out. And so for 18 months, Babylon stopped all supplies coming into Judah. Can you imagine that, that you've got no supplies? When we don't have toilet roll on the supermarket thing, we freak out. We bulk by. And so for 18 months, this happened. Crazy things happened. Women eating their own children. Destruction of buildings. You can't imagine the depravity that happens when you take someone else's source and it's dog eat dog world. And Jeremiah's all around this. And so he's witnessed this for 18 months. He's seen Babylon come, kill, destroy, break all once was a beautiful city. And you can imagine him just looking on a hill set, seeing this destruction and lamenting to God, saying, God, where are you? And so lament is a cry of sorrow and grief. I love this description. Prayer in pain that leads to trust. This is what we're going to be talking about today. The process of lament. And even as we jump into just chapter 3 here. So chapter 3. And so thankfulness in the sorrow is what we're talking about today. And so the writer gets really personable. He looks at destruction all around him. He sees Judah. He just sees the fallenness, and then he brings it right into his very place of where he sits. And he says this, my soul is bereft of peace. My soul is empty 
of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. My soul continually remembers and it is bowed down with me. But this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. And so my point today is, what are you calling to mind in the sorrow? What are you calling to mind in the pain and in the process? What do you say to yourself when you don't want to give thanks to God? Maybe you've had a sickness in your body and you were doing really good and it came back. Maybe life and finances were going really well, but then suddenly you hit rock bottom. Or maybe just within your own soul, right? You were just doing really good. You're like, Life was going well, pretty well. You had things together, and suddenly out of nowhere, this oppression, this depression, this anxiety has just filled your heart. What do you do in those moments? Maybe right now you have a moment that you're sitting in. And we have a choice in those moments. God, don't you care? Why won't you do something? Or maybe worse, You just say nothing. Maybe you've been in the scenario for so long that you say nothing. And there are two important things that can happen in this moment, right? As Christians, the two baskets of where we can live in. We can live in denial. Christians don't get hurt. Christians just live a safe and comfortable life. I'm just going to keep on praising him and ignore the burning house that is right behind me. And we deny it, we deny it, we ask. People can see it physically on your face. And you're like, are you okay? You're like, I'm fine, I'm awesome, God's great. Cheesing face, trying to hold it together. But we live in the denial. Or we can live in despair. It's never going to change. It's always going to be this way. And so we stop talking to God in both ones. When we deny the pain, we just don't want to talk about it. Or in despair, we've given up and we don't want to talk to God about it. I love this definition. Yeah, so we call to mind. Sorry, there we go with my slides. So lament, turn, complain, ask, trust. This is a principle that I love. The turn, complain, ask, trust. This is what lament is all about. It's about turning to God, bringing your complaint, asking boldly, choosing to trust. This is what we do when we lament well. When we turn to God, when we bring our complaint, when we ask boldly and we trust. And Jeremiah in this moment is turning to God. He's, from chapter 1, turned to God about this woman who he envisions as Israel, who was once a princess, once the most beautiful thing, has now become lonely, has become broken, has become desolate. And he is turning to God, and he is pouring out his heart. A lament is a worship cry to God. And I think about it this way. And this is a really cool uh, illustration. So Saturdays are my lie-in days. How many of you have Saturdays as a day that you like to try and lay in? Anyone like to lay in on a Saturday morning? 
Am I by myself? You guys just like always go, go, go. Can we be honest in this room? There is a day of the week that you have that you're like, I just want to push the alarm just a little further. Maybe even turn off my phone. And for many of us who are young parents, it's like, oh, actually, we don't get that. Uh, the alarm goes but my kids go way before my alarm. Like I'm up way before anything ever happens. But I love that thought, and this is for some of the parents who are frustrated when your child comes to you, that your child knows that you can provide for them. That's the beautiful thing about it, that when we turn, that your, your kids turn to you, they know that you have the capacity, that you have the compassion to meet their needs. So whenever they're coming to you, when they're knocking on your head in the middle of the night, when they've had a nightmare, whatever it is, we can fill ourselves with joy that they know that you have the capacity to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring peace to their situation. Because the reversal is very real. When I was 12, I went to a missions trip to Romania. I mean, we did all dances and skits. We did all the, the things you do on a missions trip. But we went to this orphanage, which will forever change my world went into this. And you've got to bear in mind, this is a third world country, Romania is. Even though it's European, it's been part of the Eastern Bloc. They were part of the other side of the Berlin Wall, so they didn't receive, you know, and they have controlling government. It is oppressive in that nature. You know, police run around with big guns and stuff like that. It is oppressive. You feel the spiritual atmosphere of oppression over that area. And so we went into an orphanage, and these children are just the rejected of the day. They are rejected, and these are Christian um, people that run these things. And you went into the orphanage, and you just heard silence. And it was weird because I was like, wow, they're really well behaved. I would think uh, toddlers and, and young babies in the, in the cribs, that they would be crying at least, right? You would think that you walk in, you would hear just the noise and chaos as you come in for these young kids. But when you walked in at 12 years old, you heard silence. What on earth is going on in this moment? And one of the leaders there told us, uh, we just don't have the capacity to look after all these children, and so we have to leave them in their cribs for their own safety. Many of them have been left, abandoned, and that is their nature, and they've given up crying out. Can you imagine that? That your child doesn't want to cry out because of abuses or whatever. They don't feel like you have the capacity to look after them. Can you imagine that your child doesn't even bother asking you for any help because they believe that you're not good enough? I mean, that would wreck my heart because I'd move heaven and earth to do anything that I know with impossible to help them be who they are. And so like the father, so many Christians give up and like the children in the cribs, we don't cry out to God anymore. We become silent. And so lament is a Christian thing. We cry, we weep, but lament is intrinsically Christian. It's a response in our hearts that we cry out to God, believing that he can make a difference. And it can take years. I think about Jeremiah's life, 20 years of constantly crying out to Israel over and over again. Maybe you have 20 years. Maybe you have a lifetime of something in your life. Will you steal? keep crying out. I think about my mom who uh, was diabetic at eight years old first, so she injects three times a day, and she's uh, now into her 60s, so she's had it for 50 years plus, and she has constantly gone up to pray for prayer. People, come heal me, believing that God will sh shift in her, 
And I love that about my mom, that she has that endurance about her that says, I'm going to keep crying out to God. I'm going to keep on. It doesn't always go perfectly, right? There's the season of just like, well, this is just what it's going to be. But she holds on to the facts. So my question to you today, if you hear nothing else, are you crying out to God? Because we live in the now and not yet. The kingdom of God is on earth and it is, being, it is growing like a mustard seed. It is permeating into society slowly but surely. And there is a war on hand. And we are waiting for the fulfillment as Jesus comes and returns into the fulfillment of his kingdom. But we live in the tension of the brokenness of this world. And so are you crying out to God? But often what happens is when we cry, sometimes we are and we say, yeah, Johnny, I'm crying out. But how are you crying out? So I think how we complain is really important. So maybe you've got the crying out, but we can easily move from crying out to God to blaming God. He's not love. It's his fault and we don't trust him and we put him on trial. We put God on trial saying, you are the problem. You are the reason why I'm here. You're not good enough. And we all do this. I think about Exodus 17, when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea. We have the water that was turned from bitter to sweet. We have bread, manna coming from heaven. And again, the third time in Exodus 17, they complain there is no water. And there's something that shifts in the heart of Israel. There's something that shifts in their heart. And for the third time when they ask God, it says, why do you put the Lord to the test? Something has changed in the hearts of the Israelites. In Philippians, Paul talks about this. In all things, do it without grumbling. I tell my kids all the time whenever they start moaning at me, hey, Scripture says, do it without grumbling. I preach over myself when I've got to do something, take out the trash or whatever. Do it without grumbling, Johnny. Do it without grumbling. But there's something, and God is fine with the complaint. But if it stays there, it changes. There's a difference between expressing and obsessing. The difference between expressing your pain that you feel in your body, expressing the financial issues that you face, but when you begin to obsess over it, it changes our hearts. There's a difference between releasing your anger and rehearsing your anger, releasing your marital issues, but rehearsing them, building up inventory of the things that that person has done wrong to you creates bitterness in the hearts. And even when we look at verse 17, where he said, I'm oh, sorry, 19, he says, I remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the bitterness and goal. My soul completely remembers it, and it's bowed down within me. Depression kicks in when we keep obsessing, when we keep rehearsing, and we never move on to asking God. Many of you cry. Maybe you're crying out to God, and maybe you're complaining, but you don't see God as your Lord and Savior. You don't see Him rightly. Have you ever found that? There are people that see things completely differently. Me and my wife are like that. She is someone who is half empty, and I'm half full, just to let you know into what we're like. And so I look for the positivity, and she doesn't like it. I knew you were going to say that. You're always going to look on the other situation. Maybe you've got that person in your life. Maybe it's not your other half. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe you see them rant on Facebook all the time. They just see situations so differently. 
And if we're not careful when we turn to God and we complain, when we just stay in lament, when we're just giving God all the complaints and we never turn it to asking, to seeing rightly, we begin to let bitterness take hold in our hearts. So what do you repeat? Maybe just for a moment, what are some phrases that you repeat? Maybe if you're bold enough, ask your other half what you repeat a lot. And be gentle the other half in what they repeat. But maybe you've got a phrase that you say to yourself. And what God is saying, I need you to turn, complain. But I need you to get the right vision of who I am to ask and to trust. And so the writer, I love this. You think of the destruction, the pain. Like Jeremiah is invested into this moment. He's been doing this for 20 years, and he just sees the destruction of what he prophesied would happen, that he witnessed starvation, cannibalism, all sorts of destruction, and he just sits there, broken. He talks about his own condition in chapter 3. I'm a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and skin waste away. This is Jeremiah sitting in the dirt. You can imagine just smeared, torn clothes, broken in the worst possible moment. And yet he says this, but therefore I have hope. Let's have a look what he calls to mind. What is he thankful for? He says this, the steadfast This is so powerful for us because what we bring to mind, and this is why I believe this is a key moment for us to have find true thankfulness in sorrow because you can't just start bringing up your list of 10 things and then be superficial of this world. I am just thankful for running water, roof over my head, clothes on my back because even those can disappear. Even those can be gone and removed from your life. And so if we want true thankfulness, if we want to find beauty in the process, if we believe that God is making us more spiritually mature, we believe that God is setting trust in us, what are you thankful for? And I love this, the steadfast love. Maybe bring a storm to mind right now. Because this is what you need in the storm. You need to know that God has a steadfast love. You need to know that God has a rock-type love that has not shaken throughout all of the time and will never shake. You need to know today, someone needs to know today, that there is a steadfast love that is moving on your behalf, that it will not be shaken. It will never be shaken. As we go on, of the Lord never ceases His mercies or compassion. Never come to and end. And they're new every morning. I love that word, new every morning. Every time you get up in the morning, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts that come to mind? They say in psychology or in science, the first 20 minutes of your day, the thoughts that come into your mind will shape your whole day. The alpha waves, they call them. And isn't that true? When you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, it just sets the rest of your day up for failure, it feels like. Or you look at the email, or you look at the text, and you're just like, it's going to be one of those days. What do you bring to mind in your first thoughts as you get up? 
because his mercies are brand new. It's like every single day there is something entirely brand new for you to know about his mercies. Like that's the vastness of God. We've already sung about the greatness of God today. Do you have a big picture of who God is? Do you believe there are new mercies to be found every single day? Or do the situations of your day, the work that you have to get done, I have to make the drive, I have to work with that person, I don't want to answer that email. I don't want to have to deal with that customer. Does that outweigh the mercies that are brand new every single day? Great is your faithfulness. He never stops working. Someone needs to hear that today. We've sang it, Waymaker, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it. So great is his faithfulness that he's working on your behalf, amen? He is working and stirring inside of you like things you do not know. So will you be patient, as uh, Dr. Tressa just said? Will you wait in the land of the living to see the goodness of God in this space? Do you know that he is working on your behalf every single moment of every single day? doesn't always feel good because he's working for the goodness of you. Not what your plans, not what you think's right or the right timing. He's working on his timing for your best interests. He is faithful. He finishes, the Lord is my portion. We're entering into Thanksgiving. Lots of good portions. Lots of good portions. Do you believe that God and this word portion has the right amount? It's not to overflow, it's the right portion for that day. But I think, and I want you to hear this today, there are some people in this room that you eat so much because you're scared of having nothing tomorrow. You consume tomorrow's problems. You consume the weeks, the months, the years ahead of you. You are consuming things where you only have daily mercies. Jesus teaches about this about when you have worries of tomorrow. Even Jesus says, don't bother, because you only have grace for today. And so we're overeating the problems, and God says, I've got portion for today. Isn't it amazing that when you feel all the negative thoughts, that you're just tired, you're broken, and the next morning when you wake up, the situation just doesn't seem as bad. It doesn't feel as bad, because there is a portion, there is a grace for each day. And make sure that you align in and through that. So you become thankful in your moment. I'm not talking about a fake positivity. I'm not talking about being like constant right, like keeping things right in your head. His thankfulness leads to trust because he says, therefore I hope in him. So Jeremiah has lamented, he has cried out, he has turned to God, he has complained to God, he has kept him right in his mind that God is powerful, he is complaining to God because God, you are powerful, you are good, and I'm going to ask in boldness because I know who you are. What do you bring to mind in the sorrow? What thanks do you bring? In Matthew 26, 39, Jesus laments on the night before the cross and says, going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Can I invite Ash and Rachel just up? We've got a, just a, a song that we're going to sing in a moment. And for you, I just want you to posture your hearts 
because we want to have uh, just these guys lead us in a lament song. We don't have many lament songs in contemporary worship because we don't want to go there. But if we live in the in-between of the kingdom of now and not yet, I want you, and this is my, my point for you today, maybe for you today, you've stopped crying out. Maybe for you, you've become like the child in the crib that has just given up and you can't be bothered anymore. Maybe I want to create this space, this moment for you to let these words come on a screen for you to say, you know what? I'm going to cry out. I'm going to let these words take hold of my soul today and I'm going to cry out to God. Maybe these words can give language for you to begin to cry out to God again. Maybe for you, you've been complaining for way too long. Like when Prophet Ed Trout came here and just said, stop it. Just stop complaining the way that you do. Like, get a thankfulness in your heart that is thankful for the steadfast love, for his new mercies, for his faithfulness, for his portion. Maybe you need to remind yourself today of his goodness and thankfulness. And in this song, there is some words that will be able to help you in that today. Maybe it's time to move on and get your mind on the things of God and trust him today. I'm not looking for the ultra-positive I'm looking for the reality. I'm looking for, in this moment, holding both the pain, but holding the thankfulness as well. So if we can drop the lights, guys, and just posture yourselves right now. Maybe you just need to close your eyes, and you just need to let the words wash over. For you online, maybe you need to just posture yourself. Sit down and just take a moment to say, God, I'm going to bring to surface right now some of the pains, some of the struggles that I face. And I want to let these words be an anchor because lamenting is like a third of the Psalms. It's like a third of Scripture. It's a huge principle that we don't get into. And God is saying, I want you to lament. I want you to cry out to me and bring your grievances to him today. So God, we just posture our hearts as we just let this song just come and minister to us. Lord, I just pray that you would just open and do a work inside of us. This morning, Jesus.